If you'll open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter number 2. I want to talk to you today about how to be an overcomer. And the thing that I'm excited about, about this particular message is, all of us have something in our lives that we need to overcome. Every one of us, and those listening at home today, you have something that you need to overcome. Maybe it's something really big, or maybe it's something not that big, but it's something nonetheless that you need to overcome. I experienced this last week. I got to meet a family who has been coming to our church. The wife has been coming here for many years. And during COVID, the husband, he had had a stroke right before COVID. And he ended up getting saved watching these services online. And so last week I got to meet with both of them. And, and as we, was just, we, we were sitting there talking, he said to me, he said, John, I just want to say to you, you have the most calming voice of anybody that I have ever heard. Well, that made me really feel good. I said, well, you know, I appreciate that. I, I had vocal cord surgery. I've tried to, you know, use my voice in the right way. He said, really, you have the most calming voice. He said, I'm telling you, every time I hear it, I go right to sleep. <laughs> now, he said that to me. And he said, back during COVID, when y'all were doing those weekday devotionals, he said, there were a lot of nights I would get in bed. I couldn't go to sleep. I would say to my wife, turn something that John said on, and it will put me right out. And at first, I thought he was paying me a compliment, and then I thought, now, wait a second, I've got to overcome this, because he just said, my, my voice puts him to sleep. Well, today, that's not a big thing to overcome, but maybe you do have a big thing to overcome. Maybe you're trying to overcome an addiction to alcohol or to drugs. Maybe you're trying to overcome a, an, an illness that has taken hold of your body. Some today are trying to overcome a spirit of depression. Others are trying to overcome loneliness or some family problem, a financial problem, something going on at work. Maybe last week one of you or more than one of you lost your job. And so you're thinking, how in the world can I overcome this? We know that in the day in which we live, there are many people who are trying to overcome anxiety. And anxiety can be a real problem. I read just last week that the number of people who are seeking professional help for anxiety has skyrocketed in the last 15 months with COVID. And all that is involved with that as far as the financial pressure, job, all this. And so one study said that today there are 40 million Americans who are battling anxiety. And they're defining anxiety not as an anxious thought or a nervous thought or even a panicky feeling that comes and goes. We all have that sometimes. But they're defining anxiety as prolonged, disruptive fearfulness. 40 million Americans. That is over 18% of our country. And so if those numbers are true today, even in this service, there are hundreds of people, a couple hundred people anyway, who are battling anxiety. And you're thinking, John, somehow, some way, I need to overcome this anxiety in my life. Now, it's interesting. For the last seven Sunday mornings, we have been studying through the seven churches that are discussed in the book of Revelation. And we have seen that Jesus had a specific message to each of those churches. Many of the churches, he was commending them for doing something right. Other churches, he was rebuking them for doing something wrong and telling them to get on the right path. But he was personalizing his message to those churches. And as we have seen in the last seven Sundays, those messages apply to us 
today? Well, it's interesting. Jesus had one thing to say to each of those churches about overcoming. Now, I don't want to belabor this, but I do want you to see this today because as we were teaching through these seven churches, we didn't really put a big emphasis on this part of it because I'm wanting to deal with that today. For example, Revelation chapter 2, look down in verse number 7, and you're going to see the word overcomes uh, is spoken To each of these churches, Jesus said at the end of verse 7, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so Jesus is saying to the Christians there in Ephesus, if you will overcome, they were the ones who had lost their first love. And they weren't on fire for God. And Jesus is saying, if you can overcome this this lethargy that has developed in your heart, one of these days when you get to heaven, you're going to eat from the tree of life. We know that the tree of life was one of the trees in the Garden of Eden. And when Adam and Eve ate from the other tree that they were not supposed to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God knew that if they ate from the tree of life, they would live forever forever. And so God banished them from the Garden of Eden so they wouldn't eat from that tree and live forever in a fallen, sinful state with bodies that would get sick and diseased, and yet they would never die. And so the tree of life now is in heaven, and those of us who overcome one day will eat the fruit from that tree. Look down in verse number uh, 10. This is the persecuted church. We studied this. Jesus said at the end of verse 10, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, the second death is a reference to the lake of fire and to hell. The first death is physical. The second death, for those who have never been saved, is a spiritual death, eternal separation from God in hell. And Jesus is saying, all of you who overcome in life, you will not go to hell. You won't be in the lake of fire. Now, this is a good time here for me to say this. We're not saved because we overcome. That's not how you get saved. But if we are saved, we will overcome. One of the benefits of being a Christian is that when we go through difficulties, problems, setbacks, challenges, obstacles in life, we have living on the inside of us Jesus Christ, and He is the ultimate overcomer. He overcame death. So He's living in us, and we're going to see another verse later in in the message to, to learn this, but if we are saved, we will overcome whatever we face in life, even though sometimes we don't feel like we will. Now, Look down in verse 17. This is to the third church, the compromising church in Pergamos. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Now, we know in the Old Testament, God fed the children of Israel with manna, wafers from heaven for 40 years, and it's kept them alive. The hidden manna is a reference to Jesus. John chapter 6, he's the bread of life. What does bread do? It satisfies us. It energizes us. Jesus is saying, when you're out there living your life and you have a problem, and you overcome that problem, you're going to experience me in a new way, and you're going to find satisfaction, energy, and excitement, and enthusiasm coming from your relationship with me. And then he said this, and I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now, what is this reference to a white stone? Well, back in the first century, when they had their Olympic-type games, their athletic events, the winners of those events were given a white stone. 
And that white stone allowed them to come to the award ceremony where they would receive their crown. That white stone was like the entrance ticket, the admission ticket to the award ceremony. And so Jesus said, one of these days, all you overcomers out there are going to get a white stone. And that white stone, in a sense, will be your admission ticket into heaven. It will prove that you were really saved. And on that white stone will be a name that will be so personal that it will have great meaning to you and great meaning to me, but nobody else will understand the significance of that because it will be something that unique. In other words, something in your life that you have faced and that you have overcome, and because of the way you trusted Jesus, he's going to give you a special name and write it on that stone. So another good word about overcoming. Now look down to verse number 26. This is the next church. This was the church in Thyatira, the sinful church. And in verse 26, Jesus said, He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nation. So overcomers one day will rule with Christ. When he comes back and sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem for a thousand years, we've studied all about that in our study of Revelation. Jesus says all the overcomers will rule with him and reign with him on this earth for a thousand years. We'll have authority over the nations because we were truly saved and we express that salvation by being an overcomer. And then in chapter 3 and verse 5, did a whole sermon on the dead church in Sardis, the church who was, that was made up of people who were unsaved. And Jesus says to this church, to the ones who were saved, there were a few that were, most weren't saved. He said, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Now, that is not implying that other people's names will be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. What he's just saying is, once your name's in that book, I'm not going to blot it out. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And so, those of us who face problems and learn how to overcome those problems, one of these days Jesus is going to confess us to the Father and the angels in heaven. Now look in verse number 12. This was the faithful church, but we see the same thing again. He said, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. And so here Jesus is saying, those of you who overcome, not only are you going to be in heaven forever, but you are going to be a pillar in heaven. You're going to be in a place of strength in heaven, and you're going to play an important role in heaven for all eternity. And then in verse number 21, this was the uh, sermon my dad preached last week, the lukewarm church in Laodicea. Jesus had said to them, since you were neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Well, look in verse 21. Jesus says to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne and I, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And so to each of these churches, now remember, what is the church? It's not the building. It is the people in the church. And so Jesus had a message to the people in those churches that applies to us today. And he is saying, if you can learn how to overcome problems, difficulties, challenges, setbacks, 
injustices, emotional issues, if you can learn how to overcome all of that, when you get to heaven, you are going to be rewarded and you're going to be blessed. But we know the blessing is not just in heaven. The blessing is here and now if we can learn how to be overcomers. Now, I don't know how you are, but when I think about like, okay, today's sermon is about being an overcomer. Like when I'm beginning the preparation for this sermon, I love definitions. I like to define terms. What does a term mean? And so on Monday, I, I, got, I, I looked in the dictionary, and I said, I want to know how Webster's Dictionary defines an overcomer. And the first definition I found was not very helpful because here's what it said. An overcomer is one who overcomes. And I thought, now come on. You've got to give me more than that. So I read the second definition, and the second definition was much better. And you might want to write this down. It's going to be on the video wall. Here's what an overcomer is, according to Webster. An overcomer is one who succeeds in dealing with or gaining control of some problem or difficulty. That's what an overcomer is. One who succeeds in dealing with or gaining control of some difficulty or some problem in our life. Now, I think when we think about problems and difficulties, and we've all got them, and I would imagine today your problem has already popped in your mind when I started talking about overcoming some. So you know what it is. I think many times we have the idea that in order for us to overcome that problem, that the problem has to go away. In other words, if a person has got cancer, they overcome it by being healed. If a person has lost their job, they overcome that by getting a new job. Well, many times that does happen, but not always. Notice the next statement I want to make today that is so very important. Overcoming a situation doesn't always mean changing a situation. And so today, if you're here with an illness... And you say, well, I want to overcome that. I want to be healed. Well, we all, who doesn't want to be healed? And we pray for it to be healed. And many times God heals. Sometimes God chooses not to heal us physically. But overcoming a situation doesn't always mean changing a situation. But watch this. Watch this next statement. Overcoming a situation, I'm saying it again, doesn't always mean changing a situation. It means rising above the situation. Now, we love it when God changes it we got a problem, God just takes the problem away. Hallelujah, praise God, I don't have that problem anymore. Well, sometimes he does that. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he doesn't change the situation. What he does, he changes us. And he shows us how to rise above that problem. Now, the best example we have here at First Baptist in the last few years, really, and certainly in the last few months, of one of our own who had a problem. And yet she learned to rise above that problem and to overcome that problem is a lady named Vanessa Vordenbaum. And many of you knew Vanessa. Some of you might not. We have a picture that we want you to see. So if you don't know her, you can feel like you knew her. Vanessa got saved back in 1967 at a James Robinson crusade. She actually got baptized here at First Baptist in 1977. And for these many years, since 77, she has been a faithful part of our church family. Sang in the choir. She um, directed one of the largest single adult Sunday school classes in our church. And everybody loved Vanessa. And she had a way of making you feel like that you were her very best friend. In fact, I always thought I really was her best friend until I heard everybody else say that they were her best friend. And I thought, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have to ask Vanessa, who really was your best friend? I thought it was me. Well, we all felt that way with her. She was that type of person. In fact, in her Sunday school class, 
She was so wonderful and so engaging and so welcoming in this singles class that even though it was a single Sunday school class, as you can imagine, a room full of single people, some of them are going to, you know, develop some chemistry with somebody else and pair off and get married. There were a lot of people that would get married and they would stay in the single Sunday school class. Now, who ever heard of something like that? It's the only class I know of in the world where when visitors come on Sunday morning, Vanessa would say, now, are you single or married? And they would say, well, I'm single. That's why I came to this class. She said, okay, you're single. You sit on this side. If you hit it off with somebody to get married, you have to stay in the class. You sit over here on this side. Nobody wanted to leave her class is my point. In 2013, she developed ovarian cancer, multiple surgeries, chemotherapy like crazy, radiation like you would not believe. She prayed to be healed. We all prayed for her to be healed. She, believed, she knew, if I've ever known anybody who had a strong faith in God, she knew that God could heal her, and so did the rest of us. And yet, a few weeks ago, she died. Now, it would be easy to look at that situation and say, well, in her particular case, cancer overcame her. Friend, let me say this. Cancer overcame her body, but cancer didn't overcome her. She overcame that cancer because she can, you know, I'll tell you this, cancer can do a lot of things. It can take your hair, can take your energy, can take your strength. It can even take your body and it can take your physical life. But I'll tell you what cancer can't do. And we saw this in Vanessa. It can't take your joy, can't take your peace, can't take your witness for Christ, can't take your enthusiasm about life, can't take your determination. And I can't tell you since 2013 how many conversations I've had with Vanessa, and she would say to me, listen, John, I know I'm in a mess, and this is a battle of the first degree, but I know this in my heart. Either way it goes, God's got this, and I'm going to be okay. You see, she rose above a situation even though the situation didn't change. And that's what I'm saying. To be an overcomer is not to say, God, what I'm going to do is sit back, and if you change the situation, then I'll trust you, then I'll serve you, then I'll love you, and then I'll share your love with others. No, being an overcomer is saying, God, here's the situation. Here's the mountain in my life. I wish you would move it. I know you can move it. But even if you don't move it, God, with you, I'm going to either tunnel through it I'm going to climb over it, but one way or the other, God, I will overcome this situation because the overcomer, Jesus, is living on the inside of me. Now, the question is, this is the most practical, this is the heart of the sermon now, how do we overcome? I mean, if you're here today battling, battling depression, if you're here today you know, battling joblessness, you're here today battling cancer, you're here today, your family life has imploded before you. And you're going through something right now that you never in a thousand lives would have thought that you would be going through. And now you're going through it. And you're thinking, this is unthinkable. This was supposed to be somebody else's problem. There's no way in the world that I was supposed to be walking through this valley that I'm walking through right now. John, I don't think I can overcome it because I, this thing is overcoming me. I want to get this point as strongly across it as I possibly can. If you will learn who you are in Christ, and if you will learn how to overcome, there is nothing that will ever come into your life that will overcome you. You, by the grace of God, will overcome that thing. Now, the question is, and if you're a note taker, here we go. I'm going to give you some things to jot down. And I would encourage you to jot it down unless you just can memorize it in your mind. And if you can just hear it and get it, then you're fine. But I'm going to give you three ways that you can overcome. Whatever you're facing today, all three of these ways are imperative. Number one, you overcome by faith. Faith. Now, turn back a few pages to the book of 1 John. 
in chapter number 5, the same man who wrote the Revelation wrote 1 John, the Apostle John. He wrote 2 and 3 John in the, in the Gospel of John. But in 1 John chapter 5, no message on overcoming would be complete without this verse. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4. Now look at the first sentence. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Let's say that together. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. What does that mean? It means that if you are truly saved, that mountain that you're facing, that battle that you're fighting, you will overcome it. That is one of the benefits of being saved. And that's why I said at the beginning, we're not saved by overcoming. We overcome because we're saved. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, if I stop the service right now and send everybody home, that ought, this ought to encourage you today. Because if you are saved, you will overcome. It's a promise. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And you say, well, John, how am I going to overcome? Well, I've already given you the first answer. By faith, well, look how the Bible says it. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Some translations say your faith. But the idea, it's ours and yours. It's faith. It's the faith that we all have. Faith is how we overcome the world. Now, this whole idea of faith, especially in the day in which we live, people are using that word very loosely. And sometimes you'll hear a politician or a celebrity or an athlete, and they're being interviewed, and, and they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, you know, when I go through a hard time, I really lean on my faith. Well, I think we all know what they mean by that. I hope they know what they mean by that. I'm not sure they know what that means. Technically and strictly and biblically speaking, when I go through a hard time, I want to say this, I don't lean on my faith. I lean on the object of my faith. You say, well, you're just splitting a hair. Well, I am, but it ought to be split. Because your faith is not what you're supposed to lean on. The Bible says sometimes our faith is weak. Sometimes our faith wavers. Sometimes our faith is little like a mustard seed. You don't lean on your faith. You lean on the object of your faith. And the object of your faith is Jesus. And as I've said before, weak faith in a strong object is better than strong faith in a weak object. So as long as God is the object of your faith, lean on Him. Lean on Him. Now, as we think about God being the object and the Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus being the object of our faith, that is so true. But I want to develop that even more. And I want to give you three little sayings, little very short sentences that you could memorize and you could say this. Sometimes when I'm going through something, I'll say one of these things, sometimes I might say more than one of them. Sometimes I don't even say it, but I, it's just in my heart, and faith has to be in our heart. So when we're talking about we're leaning on God, we're putting our faith in God, faith has to have an object. We're going through a terrible situation out here. We want to overcome it. How do we do it? Here's what you have to put your faith in. Number one statement, you have to put your faith in this, that God is in control. I've said that in this pulpit, I don't know how many times. I've been a thousand times or more through the years I have said that, that God is sovereign. That means he rules and reigns over our lives. That doesn't mean that God causes cancer. Doesn't mean that God caused you to lose your job last week. Doesn't mean that God caused your family life to implode. No, God, didn't call, God wouldn't even want that to happen. But, so God certainly didn't cause it. But it does mean this. Anything that comes into the life of a believer has been sifted through God's fingers. 
so that by the time it gets to you, it came through him. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but it gives me tremendous peace, confidence, assurance to know that anything that comes into my life, God has signed off on it. I think about Job in the Old Testament. Job had all these problems. He lost his 10 kids. You think God would have taken his 10 kids alive? Absolutely not. He lost his health. He lost his finance. He lost his reputation. He lost everything he had. And we know from reading the book of Job that Satan was the one who brought all those problems into Job's life. But we also know this. Satan had to ask God's permission. So Satan caused the problem, but God allowed it. So that by the time all that got into Job's life, it had come through the fingers of God. One of my favorite pastors years ago said this. He said one day he was at a church and he went to his prayer room, middle of the day to pray. And as he was praying and the church was going through all kind of challenges and difficulties and he was praying. And he said God spoke to him and God said this to him. He said, whatever comes into your life, you must view it. As though it has come through my hands. Because if you don't, you're going to be bitter at people. Well, this person, look what they did to me. Now you're bitter. Or you're going to be all all the time running around rebuking the devil. And you can focus on me on the devil. Sometimes we ought to rebuke the devil. But you don't want to just go through your whole day thinking about the devil. I'd rather think about God than the devil, to be honest with you. He said, everything that happens in your life, you view it as coming to me. And he said he did that. From that moment on, and it changed his whole outlook. And so what I'm saying to you today is, and I know in this room, and I know listening at home, there are people who are battling some serious things. If you can view that battle, that challenge, that difficulty as though it has come into your life through the hands of God, it will totally change your outlook. So the first thing you want to say is, God's in control. Second thing you want to say is this, God's bigger than this. God's bigger than this. You say, John, this, is, this mountain is bigger than I am. I don't question that. Friend, I'll tell you this, it's not bigger than God. And so you just have to know God's bigger than this. That, that's what Vanessa was saying in that battle with cancer. God's got this. God's bigger than this. And then the third thing is, God will see me through this. God will see. See, if that is in your heart, you don't even have to say it. You don't even have to say that. It'd be better if you did say it. You don't have to say it. But if that is in your heart, God's in control. God's bigger than this, and God will get me through this. It's going to change your outlook. So our, 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 your outlook, faith, first of all, has to be where? It has to be in our heart. What do we read in Romans 10? With the heart we believe. But you know what else about faith I've learned? Faith has to be not only in our heart. Faith has to be in our mouth. And faith has to come out of our mouth. And we have to declare and confess and express our faith. Romans 10. For with the heart man believes, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there's something, I don't understand it, but I've experienced it, and the Bible says it's true. There's something about declaring our faith out loud, first to ourselves, second to God, then to others. I, I sometimes, I got in a situation last week, not a big deal at all, but it was a situation that had frustrated me, and I'm trying to figure something out over a small purchase I had made, and God was beginning to teach me things through that, and I thought, you know what God is teaching me, and I, I, I knew what he was teaching me, and I just verbalized that to a handful of people that I'm close to, and I said, this is what God is teaching me in this, and as I heard myself say that, 
as I declared with my mouth what I believed in my heart, I could feel that my faith was growing and my faith was getting stronger and it was becoming cemented in my mind. That's why when, at the end of these services, if, we say, if you've been saved, you prayed that prayer, stand up. Why do we do that? There's something about confessing your faith that seals it and makes it real in your heart. And so what am I saying? How, how do we overcome by faith? By remembering this, God's in control. God's bigger than this. And God will get me through this. Now, you think we can say that together? You think there's any hope that we could say that together? Some of y'all have gone to sleep with my calming voice up here. I'm going to have to start yelling more. Really, I'm going to have to get tougher up here. I'm being much too nice, but I'm going to have to really work on that. Let's see if we can say those three things. Number one, God's in control. God's bigger than this. God will see me through this. Wow, that, I'm, I'm impressed. I want to clap for you. That was great. You see, that, that if that is in your heart, and you can get that out of your mouth, it will change your life. Change your life. So how do we overcome? Number one, by faith. Number two way we overcome? By faithfulness. By just being faithful. By continuing to believe that. By continuing to declare that. By continuing to express that. By being faithful in our Bible reading. Faithful in our prayer in our prayer time each day. Faithful to come to church on Sunday. Faithful to invite our friends to come with us. And I see people here today I've never seen before. So somebody invited you to come. And to those who are visiting, we're glad you came. And to those who invited them, I'm glad you invited them. And you just stay faithful and you just keep doing that. There's something about faithfulness that is very important. You see, God doesn't always even enable us to overcome immediately. And that leads me to the last thing I want to say. We overcome by faith. We overcome by faithfulness. And we overcome by giving God time. Time. Depending on the nature of your problem, it, it, it probably won't be completely resolved by the time you eat dinner tonight. Or the time you wake up. Some problems can be resolved that quickly. Most problems take time. And I've learned this. God and time are a powerful combination. And so if you can get this in your mind, okay, here's a problem and difficulty. Since I'm saved, I'm going to overcome. It's just a matter of how and when. But I've got to put into practice these things that the Bible is teaching. By faith, God's in control. God's bigger than this. God will see me through this. By faithfulness, just keep believing that. Keep confessing that. Stay in the Word. Stay on your knees. Stay in prayer. Keep coming to church. And then by giving God time. Now, I, as I've told you before, I love Max Licato. He's one of my favorite pastors, one of my favorite authors. If I lived in San Antonio, the first Sunday I was there, I would join his church. I, I do believe I would. He's just, I love his heart. The thing I like about Max Licato, he believes the Bible, 100% inerrant. He never wavers on the Bible, but he's not mad about it. He's got a sweet spirit, and I'm drawn to that because I think that's how we should. He's got the truth. And he's got love, and it's a powerful combination. And I've been reading through this little book on and off for a while, You Are Never Alone. And several months ago, I read a story that he told, and I want to end with this story today. I, I think it's interesting to demonstrate the point I'm trying to make, that when we have problems, sometimes God doesn't change the problem. He gets us over the problem, but he doesn't always do it immediately. It takes time. Bill Irwin was not the first person to ever walk the Appalachian Trail. He was not the only individual to begin in Springer Mountain, Georgia, 
and conclude on Mount Katahdin, Maine. Other adventuresome souls had hiked the 2,100 miles. Now, this says adventuresome souls. I want to say crazy people that would take a 2,100-mile walk. He wasn't the first to do it. Others had also endured the snow and the heat and the rain, slept on the ground, forded the streams, shivered in the cold. Bill Irwin was not the first to accomplish this feat, but he was the first in this respect. He was blind. Think about this. The Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine, 2,100 miles blind. He was 50 years old when, in 1990, he set out on the hike. A recovering alcoholic and committed Christian, he memorized 2 Corinthians 5, 7 and made it his mantra in life, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And that is what he did. He did not use maps, a GPS, or a compass. It was just Irwin, his German shepherd, and the rugged terrain of the mountains. He estimated that he fell down 5,000 times, which translates into an average of 20 times a day for eight months. He battled hypothermia, cracked his ribs, skinned his hands and knees more times than he could count. But Lakato says this, but he made it. He made the long walk by faith and not by sight. You are doing the same. Probably not on the trails of the Appalachians, but in the trials of life. 